What's interesting to me is I, as I look at Jesus' prayer right here, he could, have, he could have prayed anything. He could have prayed anything for believers. And, I mean, we can probably come up with a good list of things Jesus could have prayed for. He could have said, Father, help them to be great prayer warriors. That they would just know how to pray and, and, and have the, the best prayers. Or, God, give them eloquence of speech that when they tell, talk about me and the good news of me, that they would speak so smoothly that it would be winsome to other people. Like, he could have prayed that. He could have prayed and said, hey, Father, it's going to be a while until I come again, so just give them patience. Like, just, that's my prayers, that you would just give them lots and lots of patience. But that's not what Jesus prayed for us in this passage. And it's fascinating the things he prayed for because it's just not the first things that would have come to my mind to pray for. And remember, Jesus, the next day, couldn't go to the cross. He's about to be betrayed. And the last prayers that he's praying for believers are this, that they would be unified, that they would have his presence, and that they would have love. That's what he asks. That's what he prays for. And church... I want us to pray the same way that Jesus is praying. I want Jesus' prayers to be our prayers and our heartbeat. And so you'll see each one of these three points as we walk through today, they're kind of, they're framed as a prayer. Because what I want you to do is, as a church, as Westcabarra's church family, that we would take these points and we would pray this over our church. And not just for ourselves, but that we would pray it for our entire church and our community. So the first thing I want us to see is, Lord, protect our unity as a church. Protect our unity as a church. See, it's, it's interesting to hear because Jesus doesn't just pray for unity once. He doesn't say it twice. He doesn't even say it three times. If you look earlier in this passage, he, he says it again earlier that they would be unified. Four times in Jesus' prayer, he brings up unity. He's like, hey, I really want them to be unified. And it's fascinating because the measuring stick for which he gives for, for unity in this text, look back and see. In verse 21, he says that they may be one. How? Just as I am in the Father and, and you are in me. He, he pulls out the measuring stick of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How they are triune and, 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 and unified. And he's like, I want them to be unified in the same way. And then he, he says it again. He brings it up in verse 22. That they may be one even as we are one. It's like, I want them to be unified. I want them to be on the same page. I want them to be running after the same things. And if that is not enough, then he goes and adds a different word. In verse 23, he says that they would be perfectly one. They'd be perfectly one. They'd be unified. This is what Jesus is praying for you and for me. That we would have unity. Why in the world does God care so much about unity? Why does he care if we're unified or if we're really, why doesn't he, why does he care at all is the, is, the, is the question. Why? And he tells us twice in here, in his prayer, he tells us. Because unity is the launching pad for evangelism. Did you see that in the text? Look back in here. He says it twice. Verse 21. That they may be one. Why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. And then in verse 23, that they would become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me. 
and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus, in this passage, prays for unity because it shows the true world's reality. The way that God made us is to be unified. And there's so much division in our world and in our hearts today. And God says, that's not how my church should be. That's not how Christians should be. And as you look at what's going on specifically in this text in John 17, I mean, the disciples are there. And the disciples are a ragtag book, bunch of diverse people. And what we see as we look at this text and we look at the gospel is that Jesus transforms diverse people. But he doesn't just transform and change them. He harmonizes them together. I mean, if you know anything about the disciples, it's amazing who they were. I mean, you had Simon the Zealot who hated the government. He was a disciple. He wanted to overthrow the government by force. That's what zealot means. We don't even, we're like, zealot, what is that? Passion? I don't even know what that means. At that time, it was somebody who hated the Roman government and wanted to overthrow it. Then you had Matthew, who was a tax collector, worked for the government. He was a government employee, right? Both these guys are disciples of Jesus. What? These are polar opposite people. And then you throw some good old country boys in there, some fishermen, right? And now you got this melting pot of people that are followers of Jesus. And somehow, Somehow they're getting along. The world at that time looks and they're staggered by this. In one passage of the book of Acts, it says, these are the men that turned the world upside down. What? They turned the world upside down? Yes, because people that never should have got along got together. People that never should have had anything in common now are unified through Christ. And that's what unifies us. It's not whether we're American or Honduran. It doesn't matter what our, our citizenship is. But when we come to Christ, we are heavenly citizens. We're all a part of the same kingdom in Jesus. It is the truth of Jesus Christ that unifies us. It's the mission of Christ that unifies us. We're all running forward in the same direction. This is what happened to the disciples. And this is what made the world just stand in awe. How in the world did all these people get along? Because they saw Jesus as their Savior from all their sins. And he was the one that held them together. And he is the one that holds us together by his Spirit today. Now, what Jesus is praying here for unity, I do want to talk about corporately more, but I want to speak individually right now. We long for the answer to Jesus' prayer. Personally, we do. We long for it. Some of you, either watching online or even in this room today, if you had to describe how you feel internally, it's fragmented. You just feel discontorted and separated. And there's just a, there's a heaviness in your heart and in your soul right now because you're longing for unity. If that's you, let me just say, just lean in for a moment and just listen because if you're trying to find that unity that you so long for internally... It's not by isolating yourself and moving away and saying, how can I be whole? That's not where you're going to find the unity that you need and long for. Unity is found in community. The wholeness that we're working for is found when we're trying to make this broken world whole again. When you stop making the top priority of your life your happiness, 
and you start looking and say, how can I consider others as more important than myself? That's where you find your identity. It's not in isolation. It's in community. And so stop saying, how can I be whole? And say, how can I help this broken world be whole again? Jesus, how would you want to use me to change the world for you? And I know that sounds like a big prayer, but good. God meant you for big things. God desires for you to do big things. He does. And he's placed every one of us in a specific place, in a neighborhood, and in a job, and in a family. That we can look around and say, how do I help others see this Christ that heals the broken heart, that brings unity to the soul that's fragmented? It's found in him. And Jesus is saying, look, this unity that we so long for, our hearts long for it, but the world longs for it. We have to be unified so that the world may believe. My prayer this week is that we would love unity. I've been praying for you guys and even for my own heart, is that we would love unity the way that Jesus loves unity. And I even prayed the opposite of that, that we would have a holy distaste for disunity. One of the first churches I served at, there were uh, as a father and two sons, and they were legitimate lumberjacks. They looked kind of like this picture, like this is these guys. So have this image in your mind. They got their nice flannel on there, chop down trees. This is what they do for a living, right? So a father and two sons. And they were going out and they were working on this job one day. And it was interesting because they had this routine as they started a job. They would do it every, every time they come up. They'd shake hands with one another and you know, clap and like, let's go. We're going to do this as a team. We're going to chop down this, this, this area of trees. And it was interesting, though, because this day was a little bit different. Because they're on the job and they're working. About halfway through the day, one of the sons had an accident. And he severed one of his fingers. So the father calls the ambulance, calls 911, and, and says, you know, come out here. We, we severed one of the fingers. And the ambulance said, okay, we're on the way, but do you have the finger that was severed? Do you have that? And they're like, no. And they're like, okay, it, it'll be helpful for us if you can go find that so maybe we can put it back on his body. And so the other father and the son, or the other son and the father, they go out and they're looking around the area where the accident happened. And they find it on the ground. The son uh, sees it, and he's like, hey, uh, here it is. Here it is, Dad. And the, the dad walks over, and he's like, oh, there, yeah, there it is. That is it. And he's like, why don't you pick it up? And he's like, I'm not picking it up. Like, you pick it up. And he's like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. They didn't want to touch it. They didn't want to pick it up. Why? Think about it. Think about it for a second. Just that morning when they started, they shook hands. He, they had touched that finger earlier that day, right? That dad had probably helped that son walk across the road and had held that hand, taught him how to play baseball and throw a baseball, and had touched that finger time and time again. That other brother had probably fought and wrestled and felt that maybe finger punch against his face growing up, right? And now at this time, he's like, no, I don't want to touch it. What's the difference between that morning where they shook hands and now where the finger's on the ground? The difference is it's not connected anymore. It's disgusting to us because it's not connected. But then somehow in our lives, we're okay being disconnected from the body of Christ, the church. We can't be. We have to be unified. And the way that we would look at that finger and say, that's disgusting, is the way that Jesus would look at us that try to live in Christian life without being in Christian community. It's disgusting to him. 
Why? Because you weren't meant to carry all the burdens that you carry alone. You weren't. God's word says, bear one another's burdens. You're, you're struggling through different things and you need somebody to pray with you and maybe just to weep with you and to cry with you. This is what God desires for us. That's why he's praying for unity. And my hope is that we would have this same distaste for, for this, the uni- this unity of the finger that we have within the church. We'd say, no, I'll long for this. I'm not going to slander. I'm not going to speak ill. I'm going to work alongside of other people in tandem in serving the mission of Jesus Christ. His kingdom come and his will be done. I want to run alongside people that have that same vision and same goal. I don't want to be on the fringes. I don't want to be on the outskirts. I want to be a part of it all. I want to be a part of what Jesus is praying here. I want to be an answer to his prayer and being a part of his kingdom. Now, if you are new here today, you might be thinking like, oh my goodness, this is my first week here. This church must be like really disunified that uh, he's talking about unity this hard. And that's not true. We are a really unified church. And I'm thankful for that. And from what I've known for, for the past, it's, it's been a blessing that God has given us as a church for years upon years. And I pray it continues. But just like a garden doesn't continue to grow on the memory of a rain shower. So our unity is not going to grow because of the memory of unity in the past. Unity is something that we have to work on day after day. We can't lean on it and just assume, oh, unity is going to be there. No, we can't. This is something that we have to always be working on, always be striving after, always be praying, God, help us to be unified as you are unified. And the beauty about it is this. Yes, he prays it, but he's the one that gives us power to sustain it. Jesus and his spirit is the one that gives us the unity that we so long for. And I would just say if Jesus has such a passion for unity, that we too would have the same passion for unity in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in the church. Oh God, would you help us? Would you protect the unity of West Cabarrus Church? But unity isn't the only thing that Jesus prays for for us. He also prays for community, and specifically community with him. Second point of prayer is this. Lord, provide us with your presence. Provide us with your presence. Look in verse 24 of this text. He says, I desire, it's another prayer. I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me. There be unity, there be a community, there be a relationship with God. Why is that so important for you and me? Why does Jesus say, this is my desire, this is my, my plea, I'm begging, Father, please help them to have a relationship with me. Why is he praying that? Well, he just said in verse 3 of this same chapter, that this is what the unity looks like. This is what the community with God the Father looks like. Verse 3, he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That word for know there is a relationship word. And he's like, as they know me, as they walk and step with me, as they have a relationship with me, what do they get? Eternal life. See, for so long for me, I grew up in church and I heard eternal life and I always thought heaven one day. But not for Jesus. That's not, how, that's not the first thing that comes to his mind. Look at verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, that they have a relationship with you. 
If you are a Christian, your eternal life has already started. You don't have to wait for heaven one day. It's already here. Because it comes through a relationship with him. It comes through a relationship through Christ. And that would have been enough if all we got with being in the presence of God is salvation and eternal life. That would have been enough. But as you turn the pages of scripture, you see blessing after blessing after blessing of being in the presence of God. Joseph, in the Old Testament, it says God was with him and blessed the work of his hands. And all that he did succeeded. Success came because he was in the presence of God. Moses is praying. He's like, God, I want to be in your presence. And I'm not in your presence, then don't lead me forward. And God's like, no, no, no. I'll go with you and I will give you rest. Rest. How many of us are longing for rest? It's found in his presence. Joshua, another one of those patriarchs in the Old Testament. Joshua, he needed courage. And it says that, have courage, Joshua, because I will be with you. His presence is with them. Courage is found in the Lord. David in, in the Psalms writes, and he says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Joy is found in the presence of God. It's all right there. And so why do we need this? Why does Jesus pray? Because he knows all the benefits that come with it. All these benefits that you and I overlook, don't even know about, God knows about. And he's like, I want them to be near to me. I want them to know the presence of the one who all good things come from. But there's something that has separated us from that presence. And it goes all the way back to the very beginning of sin in the garden. Adam and Eve were walking with God. They're in God's presence. And as soon as they sin, that presence is broken. And now they're disjointed from God. And not only are they disjointed from God because of their sins, they're disjointed from each other in their marriage. I mean, think about that. The, the first fight ultimately comes over sin, where Adam and Eve are like blaming each other for who calls the other person to sin. Well, God, you gave me the woman, and she calls me to sin, and she's like, no, 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 no. It was him, well, it was the serpent, and they start blaming each other. I mean, now they're disjointed. There's a separation between us and God because of sin, but there's also a separation between each other because of sin. And Jesus knows that his presence is the only healing bomb to fix it. And so he's praying here, God, may they be with me. May they see me. And Jesus has made a way that we could be in his presence. Because yes, it's our sin that brought that, that schism. But Jesus came and bore that sin and was crushed in our place on the cross. Why? So that he could be the way, the truth, and the life that we could come into the presence of God. Remember the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Like God had ripped it so that we could come into the presence of God. He did this for us because he knew we could not do it apart from him. And so my question is this, if this is the prayer of Jesus that we would be with him, are you taking full advantage of everything that God has given you to stay close to him? Seriously, ask yourself that. Are you in your life taking full advantage of everything that you can to stay close him because the list is long 
to pull you away from him. He really wants. What are those things that help you stay close to God? He's provided them. And one of them is the church. One of them is the church that we would live in community. So when we fail and falter, we pick each other up. When we give in to sin, it says pray for one another that you don't fall into sin, that your heart doesn't get hardened and calloused. Some of us have been out of Christian community for so long, our hearts are just callous to anything godly right now. God has given us community to help us. God has given us his word to keep, him, keep us near to him. That we would open it and read it and not just say, well, I've read it for the day, I'm done. But God, what would you desire for me to do today? How would you desire for me to think? May my thoughts be your thoughts today. I mean, how often do you ask the question, God, how do you want me to spend my day today? I was convicted about that yesterday. I was thinking, God, how do you want me to spend my day? I didn't, I didn't even ask it. I was just like, I, I want to do this. This is what I want to do today. But God, what do you desire for me to do today? How can I be close to you, near to you, and spending time in your word? And I prayed, just as Jesus prayed. If you know this story in full, in, in John 17, as Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples are over there napping. They're sleeping. In our small group last Sunday, we were joking about this because as Jesus is praying this at a distance, some of the disciples are obviously hearing it, but like I would have such sarcasm in my prayer of like, help them be unified, help them to you know, pray. And I'm just like, Jesus is saying this loud enough for the disciples to hear so they could write it down and remember. Because he wants them to live this out. But they're struggling to pray. And Jesus knows that. And that's why he prays for us. They're struggling to be near to him, and ultimately they're going to flee from him and deny him. And he knows that. And you got to think that some of the disciples down the road look back to this and they're thinking, man, I did abandon him. I did leave him. But you know what? He prayed knowing that I was going to, and he prayed that I would be with him. Jesus knows your greatest sins. And he still desires to hold you close. He knows the depths of your heart and he loves you regardless. He wants you to be with him. So are you taking full advantage of everything that God has given you in order to stay close to him? The last thing that Jesus prays for us in this passage is that we would know his love and that we would make it known. The very last verse in this passage, it says, towards the end of it, which, which you have loved me, may it be in them and I in them. Jesus is saying love is central. The way that God the Father has loved the Son, may it be in us, and may we love and care for other people in the exact same ways that God the Father has loved and cared for the Son. This was crucial to Jesus. Jesus even says the most important thing you can do is to love God and to love others. This is where all of it comes together. It's all found in this great commandment to love God and to love others. This is central to the teaching of Jesus and the life of Jesus. And he looks at us and he's like, and I want you to live the same way. I want you to have that same love and fervor that I have. May it be in you as well. Love is so important. Later you see in the Gospel of John that Jesus actually says this. And you'll see the verse on the screen. He says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. How? By the way you pray, 
by the way you walk, by the way you give. No, if you have love for one another. This is the defining mark as a Christian. It's not a tattoo. It's not a necklace with a cross on it that defines a Christian. Jesus says in John 13, no, 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 no. By this, everybody's going to know. And it's by the way that you love. Our love has to be visible because it's through our love that, our, that people see the love of Christ. Our lives and our love is like, a, is like a window pane that people get to see the Savior through. But the problem is in, in, in our world right now, specifically in Christians, we're so fragmented and so shattered in our love and what love is and how we love that people are trying to peer through it like you would look at glass that's shattered. And you're trying to see what's behind it, but there's so much dis disoriented fracture. You're like, I, I can't even see the flip side of this. I can't even see what's on the other side of this. There's, there's even confusion about what love is. But as you turn the pages of Scripture, God is clear on what love is. He's clear. And there's many things. I mean, you can go to Corinthians and read the list of what love is. He actually gives you a definition to understand and to know it. But if I was just going to frame it in just a couple words, one, I would say that if we want our love to be visible as Christians, we want our love to be a clear piece of glass that people can see through and see the love of Christ, it's going to be costly. Christian love is a costly love. It's going to cost you time to be hospitable to others. It's going to cost you energy to to go out of your way, to, to make time for others? It is. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you even financially. It will. It's going to cost you financially to love as Christ has loved. In this book, uh, Why Would Anybody Want to Be a Christian in the third, Early Third Century, was all about how people at that time in, in early Rome, why would they want to be a Christian? They were persecuted. They were hated. Why in the world would anybody want to be a Christian? It's because they looked and they saw that the love Christians had was something drastically different than anything else the world had to offer. Even the, the emperor at that time were paying these pagan uh, priests to try to love like the Christians love. And they couldn't do it. They came back to the emperor and they're like, we can't love like they love. Why not? Because they have something different than we have. You see, even at that time, they were opening up their house, and they were allowing people to come in and eat food. Nobody did that then. You didn't do that. Why? Because it cost you money, and it cost you time to have somebody stay in your house and eat your food. Sadly, what they would do in, in that time is they would share their bedroom with somebody else, but they would never share food. Because at least sharing their bedroom, they got some pleasure out of it, but sharing food, that only costs us something. And at the time, they looked and they're like, man, these Christians are different. They're actually willing to give and invest in huge ways. Some of us have, have gone through life and gone through hard seasons. And you look around and you're like, I don't have any friends. Like, I thought I had people that were here. But the reason why you don't have any friends is because you never invested in them. You didn't. The world says, look out and find people that look just like you, that have the same income as you do have the same handicap in golf as you do, and, and live life, they dress just like you do, just live life just like them because they'll never ask you for anything. It's because you're not living life with them. You're not. And so when time comes and you need somebody to care for you, they're not there because you never invested anything in them. 
You didn't love them with a love that cost something. And we'll talk about this more next week, but if you look at Christ, look at his love. It cost Christ everything. Everything. He had it all. He had a perfect, comfortable home. He had heaven. He had riches. He had people serving him and caring for him. And he gave all of that up to come down for you. And then he gave up his life here on earth to save you. He gave it all for you. He has a costly love. And he looks at you and me and he's like, hey, I pray that the love that I have would be in you. And it's going to cost you something. Not only is love costly, love is also forgiving. This is something we need right now. Desperately need in our culture, in our marriages, in our families. We need forgiveness. And I think Jesus ends, I don't know, but I think Jesus ends on this love aspect because if we're going to live in unity together, he knows that's going to create friction. He knows it. And we as Christians are kind of like... Uh, Two porcupines where on a cold night they need to stay together for warmth, but as they stay close together, they, they need each other, but they needle each other while they're getting close. And that's what happens in Christian community. We need one another, but I promise you, you get involved, you get in a small group, you stay connected here at West Cabarrus, you're going to have friction with people. You just are. We're in a broken world. It's just going to happen. But at the same time, we need each other. We need each other. So we have to forgive one another. We have to be willing to let things go and forbear wrongs. And that's the only way you're going to find unity. And Jesus believed in this forgiveness so much that even when people were wounding him, while he hung on the cross, he's praying for them. Father, forgive them. When's the last time you prayed to, for God, just forgive that person, help me to forgive them. But in the middle of the moment where they're slandering you or gossiping about you or speaking ill of you, at that point to pray in your mind with a pure heart, God, forgive them. Forgive them. It's the kind of love that Christ is calling us to. He is. Now you're here and you're hearing that and you're thinking, man, Ryan, that sounds really hard. Yes, it does. <laughs> it's not easy. The only way that you can completely love is to know that you're completely loved. The only way that you and I are going to completely love somebody with a costly love, with a forgiving love, is to know that we are completely loved. And we serve out of being completely loved. Look back real quick at verse 23. I want you all to see this. Look at what Jesus prayed. It's so important. And it's easy to, to run past. But at the very end of it, he says, you have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus in this moment in this prayer is saying that God the Father loves you just as much as he loved Jesus the Son. Let that sink in for a moment. That's beautiful. It doesn't matter your past, your finances, your sin, your shame. Jesus is telling us this truth here, that God the Father, through the Son, has loved us just as he has loved him. 
And it's out of that knowledge that we are completely loved that we can love completely. Some of us are afraid to tell people the truth because we long for their love. We want them to love us. And if I tell them the truth, then they might not love me. We as Christians have to stand firm and say, I've already been crowned with the love of the king. And so I don't have to earn anybody's love. I don't have to try to work towards it. I am loved by the king. And so I'm going to love others by sacrificing for them, by forgiving them, by praying for them, by sharing the good news of Jesus, the one who ultimately gave up all so that we could find salvation. Church, would your life this week be an answer to Jesus' prayer? Let's pray. Today, if you're here and or maybe tune in online and you, you don't know Jesus, your soul feels fragmented and you just have a sense of struggle. You have a sense of, of shame. Come to Jesus. He prays for unity over us and prays that we be in community with him. And he made the way through his life and his death and his resurrection. And so we don't have to worry. We can, we can sing just like we sang that song. Our sins are many, but his mercy is more. And so if that's you today and you don't know Jesus, then would you pray, just like that person did yesterday at that neighborhood, would you pray and ask Jesus to save you from your sins? Do it right now and know that he will save you from your sins. Father, for us who know you and are following you, I pray that you would help us to be unified. God, help us to lay down selfish ambition and pride and help us to humble ourselves before you, allowing your truth and your mission to unify us. God, I pray that there would be a holy distaste in our hearts and in our lives for disunity. And may there be a hunger and thirst for us for the unity that you prayed for. God, may we be in your presence and see all the blessings that you promised us in your word as we are near to you. And last, Lord, for us that are believers, may we be a bright light that people see through our lives a love that is different, a visible love, a concrete love, that they say, yes, I see Christ through their life and through their words. God, help us to do that today. Help us to be those kind of people. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be an answer to your prayer this week and this year. It's in Christ's name we pray. Church, let's stand and let's sing.